Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Drive Into the Baskets, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Mike. I'm here as usual with Dante and Tommy. Fellas, how you doing? I'm I'm excited. It's not often that uh, you have to do a mid-summer league check-in, but I feel like there's a lot to talk about, so I say we get it started. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast, and people seem to be really enjoying their first look at these guys. Yeah, so uh, the reason this is a mid-summer league, uh, <laughs> sort of a mid-summer league episode, uh, is that uh, we actually didn't have time to record uh, after Game 4, and probably not after Game 5. This is the time to work for us, you know, full disclosure. But uh, we'll be back afterward, not long after the end of Summer League, which will be either on the 16th or the 17th. Uh, the final game has not yet been uh, determined, the date. Uh, so we'll be back then with, uh, with the final review. Uh, Before we go any further, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and now a payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's extremely simple to do. Just draft your lineup, feel the sweat, and make every moment mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users all across sports, DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's absolutely no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app now and sign up using code TBPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code TBPN to get a free entry with your first deposit, only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, so let's dive straight into it with, uh, of course, the primary center of attention, uh, this being, uh, what's, what's his name, Pickett? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Kate Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, Pickett. Uh, so, nice. You almost had me for a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was this entire thing with the draft was just misdirection. And, uh, you know, so, so that we really, uh, you know, so we could, just you got this guy in full view without anybody focusing on him. You know, the next generational talent for the Pistons, uh, <laughs> such and such picket. I don't remember his first name anyway. Yeah. All right. So Cade Cunningham, uh, obviously the, the biggest name for the Pistons, arguably the biggest name in summer league period, uh, you know, period because he's the first overall pick. So, uh, there's been, uh, I wouldn't say controversy. I don't like that word. There's been some, disappointment to a degree about his performance. I think I share on that a bit. Uh, it should be prefaced. I believe, uh, whatever it should be noted that there's a, a wide distinction between being disappointed with his play and thinking, Oh my goodness, was this the right draft pick? Well, I'll say it for me. Uh, you know, there's some of the former, uh, there's none of the latter. I'm not worried. It's just, you know, we waited these months for, uh, for, you know, summer league to come along. Uh, it was a lot of excitement because the first overall pick, and I was just looking for some takeover basketball, <laughs> which we haven't quite seen. This isn't a problem that we didn't get it. It's just disappointing. But uh, yeah, I've been uh, reminded that we should first talk about the roster and the coaching, though, and that is true. Uh, so, Tommy, what are your thoughts on both of those? Well, I know you have plenty to say on the the coaching, so I'll leave that one to you. But as far as the roster goes, I think it's just been disappointing the way that the roster's construction has kind of limited what the Pistons have been able to do Um, starting off by talking about Cade Cunningham, obviously Uh, the fact that we don't have a legitimate lob threat has been so frustrating to watch because there have definitely been times when Cade has a lob and he knows that he would have that read, but he 
would he'd bring the ball up. I saw this happen at least twice. He'd bring the ball up to put up a lob, and then he'd bring it back down because he knows the guy he was going to pass it to, which I think was both times was Tyler Cook, uh, wasn't going to be able to go up and get it over whoever was defending. One of the times it was uh, Shangun. So I just it, it makes me wish we had gotten a guy like Jericho Sims with that 57th pick because at the very least it would have made Summer League a little bit more fun. But, um, yeah, it's... It's it's been a real problem. Like the the front court, rather the back court has been great, or they've been adequate. But I just think that the the, the relative weakness compared to the competition of the uh, front court has just been a real a real pain, and it's led to a lot of uh, lower assist numbers and just uh, significantly reduced interior presence. So uh, it's been disappointing to say the least because I feel like it really limited what some of these guys were able to do. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a good preface to a lot of what we're going to be talking about because you have to consider that um, it, it's it's not like the organization is putting uh, the utmost level of um, diligence into constructing like the best summer league roster possible, right? They're really just looking to get a look at guys, put them in different situations, kind of see what they have. And so that lack of a vertical lob threat or even the lack of competent front court players has really affected a lot of other players. And so that has a big impact on wins and losses and who's scoring and who's doing what. And, you know, someone like Cade's assists, for example, would have gone way up if he had some competent uh, front court players around him. So what Tommy's saying, I, I think is important in the context of this discussion and that these games don't matter. This roster is not optimally constructed. And so everything that we talk about needs to be kind of understood within that framework. Of course. Uh, and it's also a summer league. You know, that that is what it is. Uh, you're not playing with necessarily a properly coached team or a proper NBA roster. And yeah, uh, I, would, uh, I wouldn't I would say that the roster has been sort of that it doesn't have optimal construction. I would call it a dumpster fire, you know, to use to use a crude term. This roster That's is one mess. way to put it. Yeah, that, the, 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 it, yeah. yeah the roster is an absolute nutter mess. I mean, part of it is that you've got guys working on things that aren't necessarily within their skill set. Like Sadiq Bey, for example, isn't just taking a lot of threes. I mean, uh, that's going to hurt your spacing. But in general, there's just nowhere near enough shooting. Uh, Killian's, you know, we'll, we'll talk with these players in, in greater detail and in, in, in individual detail uh, in this episode. But uh, Killian apparently still can't shoot. Saban Lee, you know, aside from a couple, he's just, he's, uh, he's hesitant to shoot. Um, Tyler Cook can't shoot. Seku shot poorly. Uh, you know, you just, you don't have anywhere near enough shooters at uh, Servetus who gets on the floor occasionally can't shoot. And one of these games, the Pistons, like players not named Cade, I think had like two threes the entire game. Mm-hmm. So you can't, you can't really run a, a viable offense like that. And I understand it's just because of wanting these guys to get reps, but it's just ugly. And down the middle. Yeah. They're super weak. You've got Garza who, uh, you know, it's really, well, again, we'll talk about him, but he's not going to be a lob threat. He's not really going to be a role threat. Uh, you've got Cook, who is who is good at nothing, absolutely nothing. And so just a, a lot of options were taken away. And you've got you've got a lot of guys operating in very little space with, with not much to do. I do have to say, I think the coaching has been terrible. The first two games, it was just like an amorphous blob, the offense was. And especially when it comes to the bigs, like, okay, you have Cook and all he's good for is is to set picks and roll to the basket. Instead, you have him setting, you know, just setting weak screens and slipping into the basket. 
uh, you have Garza, who's better as a pop threat. Instead, you have him like setting picks and then rolling lightly into like the middle of the interior. Uh, you're running three yard lineups with Killian, Cade, and Saban Lee that have either one or two shooters on the floor. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's you know, especially in the first game, and it was when it was like Cook who was doing it. Yeah, so just the coaching, I think, overall has been terrible. And and that may be the most painful thing. It is the most painful thing for me in summer league is uh, watching summer league so far as how bad the coaching is. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think that takes us to Cade though. And I'm, I'm actually really happy that he's hasn't been thrown into the fire yet because I I'm still scarred personally by what we saw from Killian last year when they just put him in the starting lineup immediately. And I think it really did a number on his confidence. So I'm pretty happy with, the way that uh, they've kind of eased him into this. I know that we'd all like to see him uh, get more reps in terms of ball handling. That's like supposed to be a big part of what he does and his impact as a player. But I think after the first game where he shot, was it two of seven from three, the next game he shoots four of nine. And then last night he shot seven of 10. I think uh, easing him into it has helped him get more comfortable, at least with the shooting aspect of it. So um, I think that that's been good. And I think, if you give him too much, maybe it does rattle him a little bit, and that's not good for his confidence. So personally, I'm okay with the fact that they're taking it slow with him, and I think that is the right approach. Yeah, um, before I start about Cade, I just want to note that Mike's use of the term amorphous blob was probably my favorite thing that I've heard this week, and I'm going to strive to include that term in my vocabulary moving forward. Never heard it before, and I like it. Uh, <laughs> I would not use that term to describe Cade's play, though, because I understand that there's been some... Yeah, I, Mike touched on it. Disappointment, I guess, is one word. Um, maybe hesitancy towards... Uh, Mike's not going this far, but I've, I've seen some people express some hesitancy towards using the number one overall pick in Cade, and it's like, oh, we should have taken green because X, Y, Z. Um, I think it's far too early to hit the panic button, especially when you consider the fact that I actually think that Kate has played very well. Um, his first game was all right. He was inefficient, a um, little turnover prone, not especially great, but I thought he showed flashes of what makes him or what's going to make him a special player. And then game two, he just came out with such fire. And I think there's something to be said about coming out and performing at a high level off the bat when you're in um, what I guess you can call a rivalry game. I know that Cade said that he ignored all the talk surrounding him and Jalen, but at the end of the day, that's a very real thing that's in these players' minds. I mean, they're human beings too, and when the lights shine the brightest, right, we we know from his time at Oklahoma State that Cade um, elevates his level of play, and I thought that he came out very strong against Jalen. I thought he played great defense on him. Um, he showed a little bit more in terms of efficiency. He showed a little bit uh, more strength in terms of driving to the basket and, and finishing through contact. Still no free throws, though, which wasn't great, and I didn't love to see it. But then last night, so we're recording this Saturday morning, uh, last night was Cade's 7-for-10 performance from three. Um, I really enjoyed that. I had a lot of fun watching that. I thought he showed good acumen as a passer. I thought that he had one good drive where he kind of chucked the ball up and it went in. And you could attribute that to luck, but you could also attribute that to just having a good touch and feel around the rim. And then his shooting from range is just, it's Tommy and I were talking about this. It's, it's butter. Like he hits the back of the rim every single time and it just looks like it's going to drop. And he's not just hitting them from the catch and shoot. He can hit off the dribble. He can hit from a step back three. He can hit not just right at the three point line, but a little bit back from there. And so even though I agree with Tommy in that we'd love to see him take on more ball handling duties, he's perfectly adept um, at playing off ball as well. 
very adept as an outside shooter and and it's not just standstill threes it's not just catch and shoot threes it's step back off the dribble from longer range so that's proving to be a very valuable skill as well and I guess overall to kind of wrap this in a bow and in summation I'm not concerned I'm actually pretty encouraged uh, with his level of play so far and considering he's gone from meh to pretty good to in my opinion very good I'm excited to see what he's going to close summer league out with so my concern is just that, and again, this is this is partly just out of, or largely, I'd say almost entirely, actually, out of just disappointment that he didn't come in and, and have these sort of takeover performances we've seen from other players, like in particular Jalen Green, who just can find his own offense. That's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I'm not comparing the two. It's just it would have been nice to see Cade have, have one of those games. So yeah, he, he did shoot really well from three, and that is nice. Uh, last, you know, last night, excuse me, shot really well from three. We haven't seen him do anything with the ball yet. And that's really where a lot of his utility is supposed to be found. So, uh, that's, that's the only mildly concerning thing for me. And, uh, you know, I agree with, it's basically, yeah, the guy doesn't look like he's out of Like he does look like he's a little bit out of shape. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot, especially toward the end of games of just, leaning over with his hands on his knees. I don't know It's because if it's because he just didn't play five on five for so long, but yeah, he seems weirdly out of condition at the moment. And so, but also it, it's just his, his, his ability to beat other players off the dribble has been not good. Even around picks, guys have been able to stay pretty close to him. I know he needs to add strength. He can't really do the things in, against summer league level opposition, which is kind of in between the NCAA and the NBA. He can't do that. Uh, I mean, he can't go in and push them around and get to his spots like he could in the NCAA. So he needs to add some strength. I think that's clear just by looking at him. He looks a little bit thin in the upper body. So uh, just, yeah, like the idea was that he was this, uh, you know, and uh, I'm taking this term from, I've seen it used by by various people. So I'll just, uh, you know, no copyright. This heliocentric creator. Uh, who you're going to play around, like kind of a Luca or Harden or whatever else, who's just your primary ball handler. And we just haven't seen any of that yet. And that does concern me a bit because, you know, you should be able to, as the number one pick or just as a guy as well thought of as Cade, uh, go around to pick, get into the paint and, and really be able to do something. And maybe he just hasn't been assigned to do that or hasn't been trying or whatever, you know, whatever. I know part of it, the stuff on the ball is they want to get time for Killian, but that's what's been disappointing for me. And hopefully there's an explanation for it. And I'm not concerned, but it's just been weird. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm concerned about that <clears throat> part of me because for a guy like Caden, really any good player who's supposed to be a dynamic shot creator, you need spacing around him. And that just hasn't been there at all in summer league. I don't know. I think in the third game, we shot a little bit better. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Cade plays a better game. Uh, obviously, even then, he's not getting to the free throw line. He's not doing a whole lot of stuff inside. But like you said, he just needs to add strength and maybe get adjusted to the size and physicality of the NBA. Like we said, his physicals uh, are not his biggest advantage. We'll put it that way. Uh, he has to just learn to play the game against these guys, pick apart the defense with IQ and just really good feel for the game, more so than athletic ability. Like Jalen Green, I mean, this is where he's supposed to dominate. He's going to be the most athletic guy probably in summer league. Uh, he's faster than everybody. 
And to his credit, he's hitting all his shots. He's hitting a lot of his shots. I know he got blocked four times against the Pistons, but every other shot looks fantastic. Uh, whereas Cade, he, you know, he's creating a little bit more space with dribble moves, and it's easier to do that on the perimeter when you're operating in more space and you're operating one-on-one as opposed to you, know, you go and you drive in and it's, it's Oklahoma State all over again, like three guys collapse on you. Um, in the NBA, if we can put more shooting around him, uh, it'll be a lot, a lot better of a situation for him in terms of what he'll be able to do. And then if you give him a decent lob threat, uh, he'll have a much better time then as well. I just don't think that he has the right pieces around him for him to be able to take advantage of all these good things that he's supposed to be able to do with the ball in his hand. So I'm not surprised that his best aspect has been his perimeter shooting because that's a that's that's an individual thing, uh, and he's creating a lot of these shots for himself. So it makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree that he is a lot more fit dependent that for his offense than than is Jalen Green, who yeah is, is just going to be an expert shot creator in the NBA. And yeah, it hasn't been ideal. At the same time, it's like you know go inside and create something, but the guy just doesn't look like he's in the sort of shape he should be in right now, just in terms of his conditioning or in terms of his strength. So who knows? And uh, but. You know, part of it also, he's not the focused primary ball handler for the Pistons. They are not playing around him. This is, we're seeing this. They made it clear that this was going to be the case, or, you know, that Dwayne Casey did, rather. That's, they're going to try to get reps for Killian also. And so one of the stories has been uh, the, you know, how well this has worked, trying to share the ball handling duties. So uh, you guys have any anything else to add about Cade before we move on to Killian? Yeah, I think he's performing fairly well for someone who's five foot eleven. So, <laughs> that's yeah, that's something we got to know. What a weird thing to deal with. It's so <laughs> odd. And on a serious note, I was looking at him next to to Jalen Green, and he looks taller than him. And even if Green grew a little bit, I think that would still put Cade roughly at at the bare minimum, like six, seven and a half. I I, I think with shoes on and on the court, he's six eight. So I really am not seeing the issue. Uh, yeah, I, I would. He basically it should be noted that the the NCAA in almost every other league measures height in shoes. The NBA switched to without shoes at the start of the 2019-2020 season. So I would guess that Kate's probably about six six and a half, uh, and that he was because uh, shoes generally on average will add between one and one and a half inches. So I'm guessing he's about six six and a half, and then with shoes on and rounded up, he was six eight in the NCAA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on the court, I guess when it matters, I would put him at six eight. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then yeah, I just wanted to say when we were talking about Jalen Green, if you put Kate on the Rockets roster, they had a fantastic draft. Yeah, Sangoon looks fantastic. Christopher looks like a great value pick. Garuba hasn't even—I don't even think he's played yet. I think he's still coming over from Spain and the Olympic stuff. But put Kate on that roster, they're playing a much better game. He's got—he's got a lot more opportunities there. I think it's when you talk about Kate's performance, it's just very important to contextualize it with the team around him so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely the Pistons, like, I mean, any, any good player needs shooting around them to be the most effective, unless you're talking about like an ISO god like KD. But it's just night and day, the difference in quality of the roster. So I'm not going to hold that against Cade. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's a wait and see, obviously. And I, I don't think anybody, in my opinion, nobody should be worried. Uh, for me, it's just disappointment, you know, just the, the, all the hype around this. And it's like, let's see this go. Like, I go out there and, you know, and crush some summer league, uh, some summer league opponents. And who knows, maybe we'll see more of that in games four and five. But I, I think 
in this summer league, the Pistons, instead of your, your average team in summer league, is just going to, it's going to put out a roster and go out there and try and win games. And the Pistons have been much more focused on experimentation and getting, uh, and getting usage for, for various guys in different ways, rather than just going out and saying, well, let's do the thing that's going to best help us win. So make, you know, it makes sense why they're doing it that way at the same time, just on a purely emotional level. It's a little frustrating to watch because we haven't seen basketball in so long and won't see it again for a couple months after this. All right. So, uh, on to Killian. Yeah. So he's been a disappointment. He's definitely been part of, uh, some of the issues that we've seen. I mean, we, in game two, this is kind of bridging the gap between these two players, um, the, the team as a whole shot three of 26, and then outside of them, Cade shot four of nine. You know, it's, it's very difficult to win games that way. And one of the things I was really hoping that Killian would have worked on uh, coming into this would have been his shooting, because obviously if he's going to be a complete player, he needs to up his three ball. And last season, in the weird season that it was, he shot 12% off the dribble, and then I think just over 30% on catch-and-shoot threes. So coming into this, I was really hoping he would look maybe more comfortable at the very least on the catch and shoot, but that has not been the case. And I think the the biggest one was kind of at the end of the Rockets game where he had a wide open three, like two guys eight feet away from him on either side, and he still hesitated to take the three. And it kind of goes back to my, my, my running theory that most of his issues stem from confidence. Uh, and just hesitation, and it's really difficult to be an effective player that way because he can't drive in, and he's contact-averse, and he doesn't want to shoot the ball, or he hesitates to shoot the ball, and he just cannot maintain that. He can't continue like that. So Killian Hayes has been just an enormous disappointment in my eyes. I mean, the passing, I, I, I Mike and I were talking about this uh, a few days ago, I think Killian Hayes has good passing vision, but I think the difference between him and a guy like LaMelo Ball is that uh, LaMelo puts the ball exactly where it needs to be. Like He is a precision passer. Killian, I still think that he he makes more difficult reads and he recognizes the passes better than the average guard, but I don't think he has the precision on his passes yet. And then uh, there was that late turnover where he tried to uh, bounce it ahead to Cade on the break and he put it about six feet too far in front of him and it resulted in a turnover. Just stuff like that. He just seems uncomfortable, and I think that it doesn't feel like it's coming naturally to him. I think part of that is just the lack of confidence. Well, I agree that he's been a, a huge disappointment. <laughs> I mean, it's only been like three months since the season ended, but you know, players usually don't make kind of like quantum leaps in that amount of time. But he doesn't look very different than he did last season. And last season, you know, put it whatever way you want, and rookies are usually bad, and rookie point guards are usually really bad. You know, often really bad. But Killian. You know, in terms of pure stats, he's one of the worst players in the league. You know, he's just a horrendously inefficient, and that and that leaves us, you know, quite turnover prone, and that leaves aside uh, just how little gravity he attracted, and how little of a, you know, just how little of a spacing threat. You know, that those, those two go together. But uh, yeah, I, I've seen nothing from him. And again, I can preface this with, you know, being disappointed is not equal to well, you know, this guy is screwed. This is just disappointing. You know, he's, he's a player who hasn't really played a full NBA season and he's young and whatever, but I agree with Tommy completely hesitant. doesn't want to shoot when he drives into the interior and he sees people in front of him, his first instinct. And he almost, he does this almost hundred percent of the time is pass. So can't shoot, can't get to the rim. 
And I'd say another, I, I'm not sure if I agree with the accuracy of his passes, but, uh, you know, as opposed to Lamelo, uh, definitely a big difference between he and Lamelo is uh, in terms of what they do, which is Lamelo wants to take these shots and he wants to get to get to the basket. And he is super confident. Uh, it's also that he, Lamelo attracts gravity on the way to the basket. It's like, even in summer league, opponents seem to really realize that all they have to do is present some opposition to Killian and he will pass the ball. You're not going to track gravity that way if you're a non-threat to score at the rim. Killian might love his floater, but that's, that's not an efficient shot, and opponents will be happy to give it to him. So it's just been an all-around disappointment. He's been good on defense, and that's nice. But uh, And I should say, yeah, as, as a rookie in the NBA, even he was pretty good on defense. So we can say he was one of the worst players in the league on offense, be better put. But it just he's, he hasn't looked like he's particularly good at anything in summer league, like nothing at all. He's been a complete flop on offense there on defense yeah, I, good, but on offense, a huge flop. Yeah. When I, when I said that, I was like, I was hoping that he would come into summer league and the reduced competition would be good for him. Like I thought maybe uh, putting him into the starting lineup and that level of physicality and talent, it's the best in the world. Maybe that was rough for him, which is why a few episodes ago I was talking about how I want Killian to come off the bench to start the year, because I just think it's easier opposition. Maybe that helps him with his confidence. Maybe he's able to, take advantage of the subpar or the reduced athleticism rather and uh, learn to just be more confident, take contact and build up his strength and, and, and his confidence in himself. But uh, summer league, I mean, that's an even lower level of competition. It's not bad, but he still is making, it still, it seems, it seems like regardless of who he plays, he's just, he just doesn't believe that he's going to be able to get to the rim, that he's going to be able to muscle around these guys. He's taking difficult shots uh, rather than taking inside. Uh, completely contact averse, but I will say this. Yes, the defense has been excellent, and he definitely seems very, very confident in that. He, he really put the clamps on Jalen Green, uh, undoubtedly, and it was a lot of fun to see. Like, you don't see a lot of guys, uh, even at the NBA level, I don't think there's going to be a lot of guys who are going to be able to stay in front of Jalen Green like that. So on that end, yeah, very impressive. Kate as well. Like, they're a legitimately good defensive backcourt. Yeah, what's uh, what's doubly annoying about Killian to me is that I, I don't know if I necessarily agree, Mike, that he's been a complete flop in every area. I think that he's shown out. I, I know you mentioned the defense, but I still think his passing is really, really good, and he's a plus-plus passer, a plus-plus defender. But the problem is, and as you guys have, have noted repeatedly, it doesn't matter. If you can't score, if you don't attract any semblance of gravity, it literally doesn't matter what else you can do because you're just not a valuable player on the court. So when Killian is missing wide open threes, um, when he's showing absolutely zero ability to go right, even look right, um, he's not getting to the rim, he's not drawing contact, he's not doing anything to show that he's a scoring threat. What does it matter if you have great vision or if you have great defense? You're just a liability. So I see the raw potential there. And it's very frustrating that he can't put it all together with the one thing that he needs to really sort of fully encompass his game or fully realize his game rather to the point where he'd be an effective player. And I don't know if I fully agree with uh, what you said, Tommy, about um, the comparison to LaMelo in that he doesn't place the ball with precision. Um, I think vision is more important than precision. Like if nine out of 10 passes, he sees that no one else is going to see and he gets the ball there. I would take that at the expense of not putting the ball right exactly in the shooting pocket. And I also think there's something to be said about if you're in the NBA, you shouldn't have to have the ball hit you mid-stroke right in the hands to be able to score. He still finds open guys. And a lot of the times, it's not his fault if they can't finish those open threes. But I, I think it's more to do with what Mike said in that 
the difference between Killian and LaMelo is that LaMelo, as good of a passer as he is, as gifted of a passer as he is, he's constantly hunting his own shot, which means that he attracts gravity, which means that it actually opens up more passing lanes and makes him a more effective passer. So right now, yeah, I know it's just summer league. Again, I, I've been hesitant to to hit the panic button, but I said on our last podcast, the level of competition is lower. I don't know if the level of athleticism is lower, but I just think the competition and the basketball IQ that he's facing is lower in general. Significantly said, lower. Yeah, significantly. Significantly. So I'd what I'd like to see, or this is what I said, what I would have liked to see was him be able to find his shot easier. And when he finds the shot, hit them. And he just isn't. And if he's not hitting them now, I mean, like, what is he going to do against NBA level defense? It's just, it's really frustrating. And, and I'd like to give him time and not give up on him. But the early returns are not promising. Yeah, I mean, he has taken a couple of difficult, not difficult, but uh, more bold shots uh, on the perimeter. And you know, he had that nice dribble move on the perimeter yesterday. And you know, that was fun to see. And he knocked it down. But I just think that guys who are going to come in and take these shots they need to do on a, on a consistent basis. And then as far as the passing, uh, this is something that I started looking for at the end of last season because it became egregious enough that a lot of people noticed it. People are not finishing the potential assists that Killian Hayes was dishing to them. And so I started kind of watching that. And a lot of times, like Killian, he does this thing where he goes inside and then he'll jump and then turn around midair and then throw the ball over his head. And... It looks really pretty, and it's definitely uh, a way to see guys that you otherwise wouldn't see, and I think that's part of the reason why his passing looks so good and his, his vision has gotten the reputation that it has. But it's not a precision pass. A lot of times guys are catching it high or off to the side or low. So just working on that, and even Cade hasn't been uh, – I, I wouldn't say he's been a precision passer so far, but that's just going to come from reps, and I'm not overly concerned about that. It's just I, I don't – I wouldn't say that Killian Hayes is already like a top passer in the league. He still has stuff to work on is all I'm saying when I, when I bring up stuff like that. You also have to look at, you know, what, you know, what the fit with, with Kate will be like looking forward. I don't buy the notion that you can just have, you know, two, two ball handlers and it's like, you know, one A and one B. You don't, you don't want that. I would say particularly if Kate is, ends up being who you hope he is, just this really big, really adept ball handler. You just give him the ball and he just, you know, he runs your offense. You can't have Killian around and it's just like, oh, well, we'll let him do it too. It's like, what is the point of that? And it's summer league, fine, but you go into the regular season. Uh, do you really want to be risking stunting the development of your of your first overall pick by saying, oh, well, we need to give this other guy, you know, his reps also. It's like, what it comes down to is hopefully Kate is, is you know, is what everybody hopes he's going to be. In that case, he is a better option than Killian. And if Killian wants to play with him, he needs to, I mean, Killian needs to develop his off-ball skills, period. Like, period, period. It doesn't matter how good of a defender he is. You know, if you can't shoot, you know, you, you know, if you've got like Killian, you can't shoot. If you're almost anybody out in the perimeter, you can't shoot, you're done. So, you know, if you can't shoot well, he's, he's out of the NBA. But, you know, he's going to have to play, yeah, more of that off. Uh, he's he's going to have to be a guy who's uh, who's willing and able to shoot threes on high volume and high percentage. And maybe he does some ball handling with Kate off the floor, but yeah, going into the NBA, it's like, dude, you can't, you can't be doing that. You just can't. No. If yeah. No. And unfortunately, and and this is sort of maybe we can round out the discussion with Killian here. I know Tommy and Tommy and I had a lot to say about this. We were, we were texting each other, uh, watching the games too. The fit 
with Killian and Cade was such a point of emphasis going into the summer league. And I, I really don't like it. Um, not even less to do with Killian as a player and more like, it's like you said, Mike, if, if Cade becomes what we want him to become, he really needs as many reps as possible. He needs to be the one initiating the offense. And the fact of the matter is Cade's ability right now to shoot from anywhere and shoot at a very high percentage makes him infinitely more valuable as an offensive initiator than Killian because Killian can't do that. So Cade at the bare minimum, even if he can't put the ball on the floor and blow by guys quite yet, maybe he never will. Um, I'm sure he'll become craftier and find ways to finish inside, but Cade is just a much, much, much more valuable player right now. And him and Killian sharing these ball handling duties just for the sake of doing so, just because Casey says we want to have a 1A, 1B, Number one, it doesn't look good. And number two, it doesn't really make sense. Like this is the NBA. You guys are getting paid millions of dollars and it's it's not a pity party. You know, it's not like a participation ribbon competition. You don't need to give Killian these offensive initiation reps just because he's there. If Cade gives you the best option, which I think we all believe that he does, he needs to be the guy bringing the ball up the court or if not bringing the ball up the court, starting the offense, running the pick and roll, making the offense happen. So I just am really, really not liking the fit on defense. Maybe on defense, it's shown potential, but on the more important side of the ball on offense, just it hasn't looked good. I don't think it has. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would have to disagree with you guys a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with having more than one ball handler. And as far as Cade goes, like if he's going to be playing close to 40 minutes a game, Look at the way he's already getting like absolutely hunted when he has the ball. He gets doubles. He's he he's got that target on his back. And I know that he embraces that, but he's also going to get tired. And I think it's just a good idea to have somebody who can shoulder the load a little bit. Uh, and if, if that's Jeremy Grant, that's fine. But if Killian can be a legitimate offensive initiator, the guy that he was projected to be coming into the draft, uh, it's still very valuable. And I think it's a good idea. I mean, sure, you can you could even play it this way like you have one of those guys on the court at all times like you could pull Killian out early uh put a shooter next to put a shooter in his place and then uh, you could have 48 minutes of the duo of uh, Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham assuming that those are two guys that you actually want on the floor and you'll always have like a good offensive initiator but I don't think that the fit between those guys has to be bad it's still not the ideal fit that I wanted uh when we were talking about like the pre-draft stuff like I still think that the ideal fit next to Cunningham especially on this roster would be a very athletic two guard who can cut, shoot the ball, and uh, play above the rim a little bit just because I think that kind of balances out some of the deficiencies of Cade. Uh, and while Killian isn't that, I still think that they can be a, 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 a duo that is greater than the sum of their parts, but it definitely starts with uh, Killian being able to shoot and find a, a proper balance next to Cade. I'm, again, I am not upset that they're easing Cade into this that he hasn't done so much with the ball in his hands yet I think that's to the benefit of his development uh, both as a shooter and in terms of his confidence and I think by the end of summer league and maybe even 20 games into the regular season you're going to get to see a lot more of what Cade was projected to be uh, coming into the draft I just think that they're easing him into it and after what we went through with Killian last year I think that's the smart play and patience is not something that I have any trouble with when it comes to these guys uh, I, if I think that it's to the benefit of their long term, I'm more than happy to go that route. I don't think that they're easing him into it. I don't think they need to ease him into it. I think that they just want to give reps to Killian and they want to give reps to Saban Lee. Yep. Uh, and so 
Yeah, when it comes to Killian, no, nobody's nobody's saying that it's bad to have another ball handler on the floor. However, it is I would say it's unequivocally bad to have another ball handler on the floor when it's like, oh, well, both of these guys need to initiate on the ball, so we're just going to kind of switch off. Sure, if you have Caden, he's what you hope he is. He's, he should be the primary handler, the primary initiation initiator on offense. If Killian's going to be a guy who can only, you know, who is by far at his best on the ball, then that is a bad fit. I'd say that's it's unequivocally a bad fit. Because then it's like, okay, well, for Killian to be effective, then we're going to need to just give him the ball and shove Kate into an off-ball role. And then it's like, okay, well, then that's significant overlap. And you don't want that sort of overlap. So I, I know I've said in the past that Lonzo, you know, be, this was before, uh, before the Pistons won the lottery, that it would be disappointing if Killian ended up being a, sort of a, a Lonzo ball sort of player, which is basically you know, take threes, play defense, and do some secondary playmaking, particularly in transition. And now I think, like, if Killian's going to be, is going to be playing next to Cade, and Cade is going to be doing the things that the Pistons hope he can do, that might be his ideal role, you know, and then then he can handle the ball more when Cade isn't on the floor. But if you're playing next to this kind of heliocentric creator, you don't want him to be just giving up the ball solely so that his his partner in the backcourt can be more useful because that's, that's just not... You know, that's, that is a, a duo that is less than the sum of its parts. So I, I think, I think Killian can do more than, than Monzo could on offense. I think he'd have much better time at getting to the basket. Uh, hopefully he can overcome his issues with confidence or whatever else it is on that end, uh, you know, on that end of things and, and be like a, a, a genuinely good creator. But if you want to play next to Kate, I think he has to just be able to shoot those threes in high volume and that that's going to be his best role. Or maybe attacking as a playmaker off the ball, catch it in stride and do something with it. Yeah, Mike, you literally read my mind. Literally, I, I was gonna say I don't think it's a bad thing for a team to have multiple ball handlers either. In fact, I might even say that to go deep into the playoffs, it's actually a necessity to have two guys who can initiate the offense and handle the ball at a high level. I just I don't I agree with you. I don't think they would be giving. Killian those offensive initiation reps because it gives us the best chance to win or because it's the best setup. I think they're doing it or saying that they're going to do it just for the sake of, of giving Killian that chance. And honestly, he he's done it for the games that he's played in last season. He's done it all summer league. He just doesn't look good. Cade just looks infinitely better. Like they're not even in the same class as a player right now. And I don't even think Cade has been all that spectacular. I think he's been good, but not spectacular. Whereas I, Killian just, he can't score. And if you can't score, you can't be the guy initiating the offense. So the 1A, 1B splitting the ball handling duties just for the sake of doing it is not going to work for me. And I don't think it's going to work for the team. It's 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 frustrating. And I don't think it's in the best interest of winning. So I agree with you, Mike. I think what Killian is going to need to do is sort of learn to, I guess, be that kind of secondary guy, maybe take on that Lonzo Ball-esque role. But at the end of the day, I'd really like Cade to get the keys to this offense and it's, I don't know it's just not working I guess I'll just maintain that I do think that they're just easing him into it maybe it's just wishful thinking and maybe it's just me seeing what I want to see after what we had to deal with last season but uh, I, I regardless I think it's working you know Cade has continued to shoot the ball better and better and I guess three game sample size it could just as easily be flipped around and maybe I'm saying something completely different but I don't know I guess I just I'm I'm okay with uh, the way that things have gone in terms of the way that they brought Killian or rather Cade into this, and the the fact that Saban is also getting a lot more ball handling when they're on the floor together. Uh, I think they are just making a conscious decision to 
uh, ease Cade into this because I don't think anybody on that roster is unaware of how good of a passer that Cade is. I don't know if maybe it's just because he got drafted like two weeks ago. They're not comfortable with that. Or maybe they're just trying to get these other guys the reps that they think that they need more. I don't know what it is, but um, as far as Cade's development and Killian's development, I think they're going about it the right way. This is a perfect time for this should have been the perfect time for Killing to come into a league where he is one of the better players on the floor and one of the more capable players on the floor, and he's supposed to to dominate. But I think mental setbacks are just preventing that. So to say that Killing has been disappointing is a bit of an understatement at this point, and I just hope that at some point it clicks for him and he's able to play more confidently because I still think that is the root of his issues. I don't think yeah, – uh, again, I'm, I'm just – I'm going to say – I don't think it's. I think Killian is getting ball handling reps. It has nothing to do with with bringing Kate along slowly. I think they were open. Dwayne Casey was open about you know we want to get all these guys reps here, and I think that's why Killian is getting reps of the ball. Saban is getting reps of the ball. I think for the same reason also because he can't do anything off the ball. And if this is this is them just trying to get guys experience, then yeah, I don't I don't think it's about bringing Kate along slowly. Maybe that's a maybe that's a factor in it, but I, I think that the primary thing is them just wanting the other guys to get the chance. And, and and basically that is Killian attacking and Cade hanging out off the ball and for the most part doing nothing. And when goodness gracious, when they're on the when Killian and Cade and Saban Lee are all on the floor, it is super ugly, <laughs> super super ugly. But they're handling the ball because they have to. It's an amorphous blob when they're on the court together. It's not, I'm not a fan of it. But speaking of something, I am a fan of. You guys ready to move on to Sadiq Bay? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Bay, I don't think to anyone's um, surprise, if you've watched any of these games, uh, it's pretty obvious that the team is is looking to get him reps. Uh, number one is a playmaker and number two, someone who can operate inside the arc and find kind of find their own shot. And uh, based on what I've seen, and I feel like you guys will agree with me, I think it's been um, a modest success. I think that Bay has shown a pretty good uh, back to the basket game. His footwork is really, really, really nice. And it's just the shot just looks automatic. Um, he's a little bit bigger than those guys who tend to be guarding him up inside uh, inside the arc. And he's finishing those shots at what I think is a pretty good clip. So that's good. Um, he's taking some more motion threes as well. That famous sidestep that he does, which we'll call it a sidestep because we don't even really have a name for it. I don't really see anybody doing it like he does. Those are falling too. That's looking nice. Uh, where he has sort of started to kind of sputter out is they they were like, okay, you're having some success creating your own shot. Let's see you initiate the offense. And Bayes brought the ball up the floor a couple of times and sort of uh, started the offensive set at the perimeter. And that doesn't look good. That's not there yet. Um, he just doesn't have the quickness or the uh, tight handles and fluidity to kind of make that happen at a consistent level. But I don't know. I, I'm I'm encouraged by those early returns. I think he is starting to show that he's more than just a 3 and D player. And uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's encouraging. Now, like I said, that all the way out, let's start uh, behind the perimeter and let's initiate the offense. Not quite there. Not sure it's ever going to be there. But as far as these more moderate things that he's working on, I'd say that it's encouraging. I don't think it's really gone all that well, and that's fine. I mean, it's fine that it hasn't gone all that well. I know that this is another one of the things with which the Pistons really wanted to experiment. I think that seems pretty clear. They want to see what he can do as far as creating offense, and I'd say the returns are pretty poor. I, I don't think he's really done all that well. He struggles to take the ball and get to the basket, 
generally he ends up posting up or just twirling around a bit and it ends with him taking a bad shot. I mean, for almost anybody, a spin arounds fadeaway uh, jumper from the post or from anywhere, you know, even if you're doing it in space is, is just a bad shot. Hardly anybody can make off the dribble mid range offense efficient period. I mean, that's why you see it done so rarely is because it's just incredibly difficult to make that a worthwhile shot. So if that's how his possessions are going to end when he tries to drive in and create his own shot, then it's then it's just bad offense because you know you you got to if you, if you want to be taking that shotting on a consistent basis, you want to be hitting it like at least like forty seven percent. And the number of guys who can do it on a shot with that degree of difficulty is very low. There's also the fact that you know hardly anybody in the NBA attempts post offense on high volume. It's just very, very difficult, or even medium volume. We're talking guys like with more than three shots a game from the post are not very many of them. And the vast majority of them are all-stars. So it's, yeah, I just I just don't see his offensive creation translating in the NBA. And it's like he doesn't have to be a good creator. If he's a guy who can just shoot threes and make the right pass and play defense, then great. You know, that's fine with me. Yeah, I'm not surprised that they're working on this, uh, this fadeaway turnaround mid post thing I saw it and I was like oh that's that's interesting and it's 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 one of those shots that I think from summer league to the NBA would translate fairly easily I mean it's a difficult shot so I don't know how you can say that it'll be easy but just because it's one of the most unguardable shots and the reason hardly anybody takes it despite that is because it is an an incredibly difficult shot to put up efficiently but Mm -hmm. I don't think Sadiq is going to be the kind of guy who ever gets to the rim with strength uh, he doesn't really have the vertical for it, and he doesn't have the burst either. So if this is what it, his move has to be, you know, if you, you kick out to him on the perimeter and he tries to take it inside, he attacks the closeout, and he doesn't make it all the way, uh, he needs to have more than just the pass as his threat. So I guess I'm I'm, I'm happy that they're working on it, uh, but I don't think this is going to be something that he takes a ton of uh, in the big league. So. That's fine with me. And then as far as his perimeter shooting in summer league, obviously he hasn't shot the ball very well. And it's been a little bit concerning to me. I'm glad that they're working on it because clearly they are running a little bit more in terms of getting him coming off the screens and off ball, like running plays for him to get open on the perimeter. It's just he's not hitting those shots. And then you compare that to the the standstill catch and shoot threes, which he's knocking down pretty reliably. Uh, it's just a little bit disappointing that that shot still hasn't translated, but I'm glad that they're working on it. So uh, it's it's encouraging that it's like with Garza, like they know what they need to work on and they are working on it. But I think Sadiq is, you know, he, he's definitely been billed as a guy who just puts his head down and works. And I think that will eventually uh, come into fruition. He definitely has the natural shooting touch. And uh, I'm not saying that this is not something that's ever going to come around. I definitely think it's going to come around eventually. It's, it's, I, if I had to guess, I would say it's more likely than not that he will eventually be able to reliably knock down that uh, motion three-point shot. And I think that is his role going forward more so than post-offense. Yeah, this this I completely agree with you, Tommy. This last thing, uh, these last few things I'll say about Bay, and then we'll move on and sort of wrap things up. But I completely agree. I think that's a really good point that you made about Bay's going to need another option. If you kick out to him, he opts not to take the shot, and then he drives in and he gets kind of stuck. Um, I, I, I never thought that that back-to-the-basket sort of – crazy footwork spinning fadeaway shot is like 
<laughs> Dwayne Casey draws it up in the huddle and that's the go-to shot that the Pistons are going to use to to get a go-ahead basket. I think that's sort of a last resort or if not a last resort, sort of a plan B, plan C in case Sadiq can't do what he wants to do at the rim. And that's something that is 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 always good to have in your tool belt is the fact that you're not just stuck and now you're going to turn the ball over. It's something that you can do. And then as far as the motion threes are concerned, I agree that uh, Sadiq hasn't shot the ball particularly well. But one thing that I was looking for uh, and this is just me, maybe you guys disagree, but I was looking to see if he could get to those spots, if he could create that space to show that he has a more diverse way to get his shot off. I was less concerned with whether or not those shots actually drop because we know that he's a good player already. So I think he's created space on those side steps. I think he's created space on these motion threes. That's what I was looking for. And that's what I was referring to when I said that the returns were promising. Yeah, motion threes are... Definitely his next frontier. I don't think that the, I mean, I think that Bay's option B or option C, if he runs into, uh, if he runs into opposition on his way, uh, on his way to the interior in the NBA is passed because like I said, this, this turnaround fadeaway jump shot, hardly anybody is going to make that an efficient shot. Like hardly anybody at all. And sure. If he can make it at a high percentage, yeah, that'll translate. Uh, I'm not, I'm not confident. There are, there are definitely some very good shooters in the NBA who cannot do it and who don't attempt mid-range offense because, well, some of them just because it makes more sense for them to shoot from the perimeter, but a lot of them just because it's very, very, very difficult to make mid-range off-the-dribble offense efficient and, yeah, turn around fadeaway uh, jumpers from the post. This is, I mean, if you're Dirk Nowitzki, great. You know, go for it. Or if you're, you know, Marcus Aldridge, who, you know, used to be able just to just face up and take the shot because he was really tall and had a high release, they can't do that. And great, but I don't think that any coach is going to look to that as, as like a significant option when you can instead pass the ball and hopefully get something much more efficient out of the play. Yeah, I would just say that I, I think Sadiq is probably one of, he's he's one of the stronger, bigger guards and players at his position. So if he can get into the post and he's he's already shown a little bit of acumen for footwork. Maybe there is something there, and I'm glad that they're taking this time to experiment with it. That's that's the last thing I'll say on Sadiq, uh, but I, I'm happy with what they've done so far. I have nothing against the fact that they're trying it. I'm just talking about, you know, it's, is this something that I think will work going forward in the NBA, and that's, and that's no. Um, I don't think it will. Uh, anyway, let's uh, move on to Dante's second favorite, and this is Luca Garza, a.k.a. according to the play-by-play guys last night who apparently were, like, worked for the Knicks or something for how they called the game. Uh, Luke Garza. <laughs> they were yeah. also drunk. Oh. Yeah, that was weird. That was some weird commentating, but uh, I prefer to call him Garzilla. I don't know about you guys. I like Garzilla. And I'm not Very a nice. Yeah, pretty good. That is a uh, fantastic. I, I I had to like an actual stank face when I saw that one for the first time. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's such a good nickname. It's such a good nickname. And uh, what I think how we're gonna do this is I'm just going to kind of relay what I've seen of Garza. I'm not a hundred percent sure that my co-hosts and I are gonna see completely eye to eye, but I'll just give my take. So, um, yeah, I think Garza's making this team. Um, I don't really think he's gonna be in the G League. I could see him being a guy who finds a reserve spot a healthy scratch most nights and doesn't see the floor unless we absolutely need him for a specific matchup. But I think he's been too impressive um, to keep off the Pistons, honestly. I think those defensive struggles that uh, have been duly noted and that we've talked about quite a bit, they're real. Uh, He's not particularly fast. And even though I think that the weight loss has made him a little bit quicker, certainly not quick enough to be a plus defender or really even an average defender. He's a bad one. 
Uh, he doesn't get to his spots on defense all that well. And sometimes he's a bit of a layup line. But one thing that I will say about the defense is that he finds himself in decent enough positions to make blocks. I think he had like four or five last night. He looked really, really good. And there are a few times where he's bothered guys on the way to the basket and um, sort of irritated their shot enough to where they missed. So I, I, I think what I'll say about Garza's defense is that even though it hasn't been good, I don't think it's been like abhorrent. You know, I don't think it's been disgustingly bad to the point where he'll never be an NBA player. And on offense, oh my God, he's he is just cooking. That's where he's Garzilla. He's Garzilla on offense. You know, he had that one fadeaway where he sort of kicked his leg up. And I think the NBA Instagram posted it. It was that nice. And his three-point shot is rivaled only by Cade on this roster. Honestly, it is gorgeous. Nice high arc actually leaves um, the broadcast picture and then comes back down and it's nothing but net post moves. Very good hustle on the offensive glass. Very good tip ins. Good. Um, I know he wasn't the most efficient last night, but I still thought he made a very, very heavily uh, positive impact on the game. And overall he's making a name for himself. I think, dare I say, I don't think you guys are going to disagree with me a bit of a steal that late in the draft. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I think he's making the team. I think he could be a useful player. If not, you know, ever in a regular rotation, at the very least in spot minutes. I think that he will be on a two-way contract in the G League. And part of that is just because of where the Pistons roster situation is. But part of it is, you know, number 52 pick. You kind of, you know, no, no player drafted that position. I think it's going to object ending up in a two-way contract. Um, also, it's how he would, <laughs> be under contract to the organization. It's like, well, you have this or or nothing, and we still own your draft rights. So go off and have fun, not playing in the NBA. But I digress. So I don't think. So we'll put it this way: in the NCAA, he was a very skilled player. You know, he's a very talented offensive player. Put it that way. On offense, yeah, very talented. A part of that is going to be less so in the NBA. Like even against summer league opposition, you know, it's just bullying them and, and scoring in the post has been more difficult. And that was a big part of his game in the NCAA. But the real question and, and the real question that was like, well, despite his skill on offense, uh, led him to be drafted at number 52 and almost go undrafted altogether was his defense. Because his defense uh, at the NBA level was a gigantic concern. And apparently there wasn't much confidence that he would actually be able to get it together. And I still don't have much confidence that he's going to be able to get together. Maybe he will. But I have to strongly disagree that he's looking okay on defense right now. He's dealing with summer league opposition, offenses that are not deliberately targeting him like he would in the NBA. They would in the NBA. Like, for example, like if, if any of you remember Bruce Brown's summer league performance in 2019, which he scored a triple-double and whatever else. How could I forget? Yeah. So the thing was, he was playing at summer league defenses, and also they weren't playing him like they would in the NBA, which is just back off and say, well, cool, good luck. You know, drive into the multiple coverage in the paint. We're going to make you a spacing liability and you're not going to be able to do anything. So with Garza in the NBA, you put him on the floor, he's going to get targeted in space uh, by any good coach on every single possession if they can, because he just cannot guard in space. You, you get him switched on to somebody or you can even force him to defend the pick and roll. Uh, he's going to get beat. If you get some perimeter player switched on to him, or if he even has to go off and close out the perimeter, he'll stop five feet short because, uh, you know, they did this in NCAA too. It's like, well, you know, what's going through his head probably is this guy's going to blow by me if I if I go up too close to him, which is true. So the guy gets an open three-point shot. Uh, as a rim protector, sure, he did a decent job last night against a not very good player, and he only did it around the basket. He was not actually protecting the rim against somebody driving in. That's the thing. It's like maybe he's talented enough to get some uh, on offense to get uh, 
you know, at the NBA level, you say, okay, cool. Maybe this guy can, can do it in the, on offense. But the concern is that he's going to get run off the floor on defense. And I think that would happen in the NBA right now. I think he's, he's that, but he's that much of a liability. Yeah. To further echo the point that you're making, Mike, because I do agree with you, uh, just to go back to the, the Bruce Brown summer league thing, it's probably the last time you're ever going to see uh, off the, the defense consistently go over screens when guarding Bruce Brown. That's how a player like him was able to, he, he, I think he was in like the twenties in that game. He was just getting to the rim consistently because no defense is going to respect his shot to the point where they're choosing to go over a screen and let him drive in. That was just, I don't know why they didn't make that adjustment immediately. It was just pretty obvious. I guess they just didn't know what kind of player he was, but yeah, to echo. Yeah. Uh, Garza's defense anywhere outside of the paint is just, it's, it's just not quite there yet. And they know that and they're working on it, but his mobility outside uh, of the paint is just not quite good enough. He's going to get pulled out and then blown by pretty consistently. He, it's just the the fact of the matter, unfortunately. And while I think that they're certainly going to work on it, I just don't know that they're going to be able to uh, get it quite there. But look, they, everybody's ranted about his work ethic and how, how passionate he is about this. So if, this, if it is possible, I'm sure that, that they're going to work hard enough to get there. So uh, yeah, I would just agree with you, Mike. It's it's just the defense. Everything else has looked has been honestly surprising to me how good he is, but he, he still has he has to take care of that fatal flaw before he can be an NBA player. Got a way to you know ways to go uh, before you know before you can really put him on the floor in the NBA. I think. Last last point I'll bring up on Garza there too is that um, Casey had an interview during the game last night where the commentators who yeah they were Knicks fans and they were drunk. I agree with you, Tommy. They uh, they brought up the young core. And when Casey was talking about the players, they didn't specifically mention Garza, but he mentioned Garza. And I think that this organization will tell you who they're high on based on some of their quotes in these interviews. And I think the fact that Casey went out of his way to kind of highlight Garza and his strengths and his potential means that they're high on him. So whether or not uh, his defense is to the level that I think it's at or you guys think it's at, I think that I have every confidence that he's going to be a part of the future of the team, and I think they're going to work on it. So at the bare minimum, I believe that the organization is committed to making it work. So I guess we're going to have to find out. But Garzilla, that's too good of a nickname not to play in the NBA. Fair enough. All right, so we're just going to do these last two fairly quickly uh, because I don't think there's a tremendous amount to say at the moment. Uh, one, Sekou Dumboya, I would sum him up in two phrases. Uh Surprisingly good help side defender and still can't shoot. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how it sums yeah, up. Yeah, that about sums it up. I, w- I would have also said disappointing because uh, aside from being a help side defender who's shown a little bit more than we thought he could, mm-hmm. not impress me at all, especially oh, for a third year player. Absolutely agree. Uh, it's, it has been disappointing to see. Yeah. Tommy, you got anything to add we haven't already said? No, I think that that pretty much sums it up. I still hope that this at this point, especially that they just stick him in the G League for a year, let him get comfortable with his body because he's still not moving very well. Totally agree. Yeah, totally. And and, uh, yeah, and, and finally, Saban Lee. Uh, and I would say about Saban, looks much the same as he did in the NBA uh, last season. Uh, he drives hard to the basket. He absolutely seeks out contact. And strangely enough, he's averaging about 36.5% uh, from three on close to four attempts per game. That's crazy. So it is crazy, and I, I think That's it's nuts. yeah. With his shot, it's like he's got such he's got such broken form. Oh, I, I don't think so this bad. is 
yeah, I don't think this is something that translates that actually translates to it's a reliable three point shooting. And he's made some really difficult threes, like you know, like a really difficult threes. So I would say he really looks much the same, and he's still not inclined to shoot from the perimeter. He's also actually done a pretty bad job of scoring at the basket. So another G League guy, I would say. Yeah, that that shot form has got to be one of the ugliest I've ever seen. And uh, I mean, I guess it's consistently ugly. So I don't know if it's uh, rep- replicable in that sense. But I, I just find I just find um, it difficult to believe that you can replicate something like that and turn it into even somewhat of a consistent weapon. So unless he really reinvents and improves that form, I don't know if he'll ever be a reliable three point shooter. And if he's not scoring at the basket, it's like, eh, and I'm really not liking these three guard lineups either, though. So love the player, but not a great performance this summer league. Yeah, are you guys seeing the same thing that I see where he like he shoots it the way Lonzo Ball shot it when he came into the league, where he would shoot it like, from nah, his shoulder? I don't see it at all. Uh, Lonzo still would. He had a very like his shot looked a little bit like Kevin Martin's. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember Kevin Martin. He hasn't been in the league for a while, or you know, either of you guys or people who are listening. Uh, but there's Did he play just, on Charlotte? Uh, I don't remember. He he ended his career. He was part of the James Harden trade. So went for the Rockets to the Thunder. And I think he finished his career with the Timberwolves. But uh, because I remember he had a really good, uh, you know, a really good game, uh, at least from the field. Uh, and Kevin Garnett's first game back with the Timberwolves. So, but Alonzo has this really kind of exaggerated motion in his wrist. That's really where much of it comes from. Uh, Saban's shot reminds me of like a catapult. Like it starts right at his shoulder and then just swings yeah, that's, forward. That's what I'm, ta- I'm not talking about Alonzo's shot. Now, Alonzo's shot now looks a lot better. Like he's completely changed the way he shoots. When he came into the league, like he was launching it from his shoulder. It was It was hideous. That's what it reminds me of. Maybe I'm just not remembering it right. I don't think it. Uh, I, I think even then it was. Uh, I could be wrong. Whatever the case. At UCLA, he would like shoot it from his chin, and then when he came into the league, it was like he really. He, when he was on the Lakers, he shot it from his shoulder. Now he shoots it out in front of him. It looks much better now. So I guess if anybody, if Alonzo can do it, maybe Saban can do it. But that's every time I see Saban shoot, I'm like, oh, that's what it reminds me of. Well, Alonzo's issue at that point was strength, and Saban certainly has no issue with with physical strength. I think it's just how he adapted to shoot, but yeah, you just but those kind of mechanics, I don't think you can do so consistently. All right, so that'll be it for today's episode. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll be back probably shortly after the final game of Summer League to do a final recap. So uh, we will catch you in the next episode. 